Tonight, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you brought them this Sunday night, the second psalm. The second psalm, you may think, well, preacher, this is a little unusual a text for a, a Sunday night for the church to come back. But I think by the time that we finish with it, I think that you will see the full application that it makes for all of our lives that are God's children. And I want you to see that and understand some of these principles that are pretty well clear cut for us to understand and that we should adhere to as we embrace them and as we get ready for His soon return. I really believe that we're getting awfully close. I really do. And for some of us conservative preachers, that's, that's not welcome in a lot of places today, but I'll tell you what, truth is truth. Amen? Truth is truth, and that's what we've got to express. Notice in Psalm 2, beginning with verse 1, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Well, why do they? That's a good question. Why is that? Well, he tells us exactly why in this particular text. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and trouble them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Jerusalem. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. When you look at this particular passage of scripture, you're going to find that it's messianic. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, it tells us within this particular text what exactly I am saying. It's messianic in nature. Notice in verse 2, it talks about the anointed one. It's the Messiah, the Christ. But if you go on down to verse 12, it talks about the Son. He's talking about the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God that is spoken of here in this particular text. And that, my dear friends, is the one that we have to deal with. He is indeed our Creator. He is the Redeemer and the Sustainer, my dear friends, of all that is. But notice what he says in verse 6 of the text read tonight. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion, the King James says, but Jerusalem is what is meant there. You know Jerusalem was significant then. 
And do you know that Jerusalem is significant even today in which we live? It's amazing that in our day and time, as of May 2018, that Jerusalem recognized now for many, many years to be the capital of Israel. I'll tell you, I think it's important. In spite of all the controversy, in spite of all the rejection by the nations of the world, even today, I'm going to tell you what Benjamin Netanyahu said. It is done. It's recognized. I'll tell you what God has said in His Word what it is, and I have to believe Him. I really don't care what the nations of the world say today and gave their opposition to a U.S. president in doing what he did. You know, the Psalms speak of the kings and the rulers of the earth. They're still around. And you know what it says here in verse 2? They're against the Lord and His ways. It's always been that way. My dear friends, we as God's children are walking down a narrow path amongst a broad road. They're going one way and God's people are going another way. It's always been that way. Nothing has changed. It's not going to change. Not until the very end when he sets up his millennial rule of which he will reign himself from Jerusalem. The kings of the heathen nations have a way of doing things. Do you know that? They really do. They are impressed upon by satanic power. I like what Paul says, and it's true. You go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. He talks about the prince and the power of the air. I would suggest to you that you learn as much as you can about this prince and the power of the air because we have to deal with him too. Do you know that? We really do. That's why I've been trying to share with you on Sunday evening, trying to, trying to get the church to full, more fully understand about spiritual warfare. I don't know why there's just a few in spiritual warfare, but I, what I found is this. If you're on the cutting edge of the work, you're going to find out about spiritual warfare. Satan attacks leaders. Do you know that? He attacks leaders with a vengeance because if he can cut the head off, he can move the rest of them in disarray. And that's what he's doing in many incidents today. The prince and the power of the air, my dear friends. But the text I read addresses the one that would deliver Israel and others who would put their faith in him from the tyranny of the nations and assume the rule of the world. You know, that title deed belongs to the Lord. It's his. Satan may be the prince and the power of the air now, but I'm going to tell you something. The title deed to this world that he created is his. And one day he's going to fully take it back and claim it as his very own. You know, the hope of Israel is the coming of the Messiah. They missed him the first time, but they will recognize him when he does come again. There is only one who could be an ideal ruler. And I will tell you who this ruler is. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's ideal. He may call some of us to be leaders, but I'm going to tell you something. He's the ideal leader. He's the one that we have to look to. Do you know that Jesus always talked about a kingdom? 
You read New Testament, I have to believe you people are Bible people. You read the, the Bible through it, it talks about a kingdom. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed was the gospel of the kingdom. It was and is the center and the basis of all of his teachings. Friends, it didn't end up with just rituals or creeds. It had to do with the very word of the living God. He constantly talked about his kingdom and himself as being a king. And you know about his followers that came by faith in him? They were children of the kingdom too. He has a kingdom. And you know what? He wants you to be a part of it. Even on the Sermon on the Mount, you've studied it many times. He said, blessed are those who are His. Song that we sing, now I belong to who? Now I belong to Jesus. You know, that's profound. A lot of people out here around us today, they can't say that. But we can. And we know why. And we say it with integrity and honesty and know for sure who He is and who we are in relationship to Him. Those people of the kingdom that He said are His, He says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All found in the Sermon on the Mount. What are those people, those children, those by faith that come to you? What are they to do? Bible says in that particular uh, sermon, he says they are to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. You know, it's important. I stop there and I say, well, what for? We are to seek first the kingdom of righteousness. Why? Why? Why should we do that today? Why has it ever been done? It is to show how important it really is. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. It really is. You're going to die someday. And many of you are going to know where you're going once you die. Because when you take that last breath, you're going to step into eternity. You continue to live. You bring, you bring somebody into this world. They live forever. They're going to go one place or the other. Amen? They are. And it's our task to help them to understand. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness to show the importance you know, the subjects, the people of faith, they are to pray what? According to the Sermon on the Mount. They are to pray, thy kingdom come. That's what we ought to be praying each and every day. Lord, your kingdom, and I'm going to be talking about some of the aspects of the kingdom in just a few moments. Thy kingdom come. And then what else does it say? Thy will, O Lord, be done in my life. We ought to know what God's will is. These things are important. Well, my dear friends, I have to ask, you know, if a kingdom, and if that kingdom is now, then what are some of the aspects of it? What are some of the characteristics of the kingdom of God that we find spoken of in the New Testament? Well, first of all, I want to tell you it's a spiritual thing. It really is. People don't always understand things of the Spirit. I found there are a lot of people in our churches. A lot of churches don't even talk about the Spirit much anymore. They don't say much about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is critical to us as the children of God. Most critical, I'm going to tell you. It's a spiritual thing and it's an inward thing. Pray God is building you from the inside out, not from the outside at all. 
If he's building you on the inside, it's going to come forth. Amen. You got an old nature that comes forth. You know that, right? Huh? I said to you here the other Sunday night, you know, you find out how good some people are when you cross them. You know, if you cross them, you find out what comes out. Uh, you can start throwing your tomatoes. I can tell the wife, start the car. I can get ready to go, you know. But the thing is, that is true. I found even adults, when they don't get their way, they sort of act unbecoming of even an adult. I heard Billy Graham say one time years ago in one of his crusades, he said, even if there wasn't anything to Christianity, he said, there ought to be something about adulthood that God has given to us so many years to mature, and yet we become 60 and 70 and 80 years old, and we haven't matured. That's what Graham said. I found to be true. Shouldn't be. First aspect of the kingdom is spiritual and inward. You know where it begins? It begins in John 3, 5. It talks about a spiritual birth. Except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I've heard some preachers talk about the water as being something referring to the physical birth. You must be born first before you can be born spiritually. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the water as being the gospel that's found in the New Testament. There are two things which by, has to be at play when we are born again. That I understand the gospel that Jesus has espoused that is about him dying for me, a sinner, that I must confess and that I must repent of my way and turn to him. And I can't do any of that unless the Spirit of God helps me to do it and understand it. And you can't either. And that's what he's talking about here in John 3, 5. Do you remember when Jesus in the fourth chapter of John was talking to the woman at the well? He said, if you really knew who you were talking to, you would ask of him of water. And he would give to you what? What is it, church? He would give to you living water. Living water. How much of that do you think she understood? If you really knew who you were talking to and you would ask, he would give to you himself that would be living water. And he goes on and explains that even further in the 14th verse of that fourth chapter of John. You need to get a hold of this. And he said, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. She's looking at him. She said, you must be an idiot. No wonder you're a Jew. Never thirst? You're going to give me water of which I will never thirst again? That sounds preposterous to a lot of people today. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not when you've come to Jesus and you're in Him. And the water, verse 14, that I shall give Him shall be in Him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You have Jesus in you. He says, you will never thirst again. The things of this old world take on a different taste and way to your life and He will be supreme to you to the point you'll never want, you'll never go, you'll never thirst for the things of this world again because Jesus Christ has satisfied your need. That's what He's talking about. 
a well of water springing up in you? What's bubbling over in your life, my dear friends? <laughs> What's done? What's going on in your life? You see, when you have Jesus, there's a life-changing experience. See, if you've really got Jesus in your life, it takes root. And when it takes root, it starts to grow. And when it starts to grow, it starts to blossom. And it grows up and it produces fruit. There ought to be a vast difference, my friends of what takes place in your life when you've come to Jesus and He is in you, that living water, and you have experienced that, tasted of Him, and that you never thirst again from the old life of which you've turned away from in repentance, and you're now walking with Him in everlasting life. Amen. What a difference. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is spiritual and inward and it's life changing. Have you ever noticed in your own life how spiritual principles now are dearer to you than property? Have you thought about it? Have you, how that your soul is greater than your body? You ever think about that? The soul within greater than the body that God has created for you? You remember what Jesus said? Not to worry about those that can kill the body, but be vastly concerned about those that have control of the body and the soul and will be able to cast it into where? Into hell. The soul, more important than the body, Jesus said. Jesus, Jesus said, we're going to resurrect someday. He may put me in the ground before he comes. I, I don't think that's really going to happen, but it could. I think that's how close I am and you are. I do. This body's going to decay. It's going to go to nothing. We've seen some of those kinds of things. This body decays pretty fast, especially in weather like this. It does. Sort of got a bad stench to it, too. If you ever smell a decaying body, you'll never forget it. You will never forget it. Do you realize the invisible is greater than the visible? Do you realize that the unseen exerts a stronger influence than the seen? Do you realize when we go back and study even American, you can study, study Jewish history, what happened in Israel, but you study American history, they don't want to teach it no more because they don't want our kids to know about what happened. But in, in the Revolutionary War, on down to the major wars that we've had, there have been historians that have recorded that there's always been turn of events in those battles that they could not fully explain that only the hand of Almighty God was there to move in advantage of those that He was with. And we're a people today and a mighty nation today. I don't know how much longer we're going to last the way things are going. But God Almighty has made this nation a great nation and a powerful nation because in years and years and years past, people of faith looked always to Him. You see, the Bible also speaks of being quickened 
into a new life. You see, in Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. I was dead to the things of God, now being alive to the things of God. In 2, 5, Ephesians says, Has quickened us together with Christ. Before I didn't know him, now I know him. And I can't imagine not being able to walk with him and know him and talk with him on a daily basis. You see, even the Sermon on the Mount, again, I go back to that time and time again. You know, it talks about an humble soul. A lot of people in the world don't have humility. It talks about the poor in spirit. It talks about the meek. It talks about being peacemakers. It talks about pure in heart. These are the people of the kingdom of God and the characteristics of the subjects of it. His kingdom affects our thoughts and the interest of our hearts. He is working in your thought patterns and in your ways of life to change you for His honor. You know, he talked about living, living in childlike trust. Not living childishly, but living in childlike trust. That means obedient and trusting. Obedient. Living in a relationship to the Spirit. Calling on Him in the Spirit. Jesus said, out of the heart flow the issues of life. I have to ask, what's flowing out of your heart tonight? Notice what he says in Matthew chapter 12. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 12. Since you're here, I, just, I might as well just preach to you a while. Notice in 1236, he said, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account for in the day of judgment. You want to be held accountable for every word that you speak? He said, every idle word. Is he keeping up with all that? Recording angels are. <laughs> He's recording it. It's being done. Notice in verse 37. For by their words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. You're talking about in the spirit. You're talking about the spiritual aspect of, of our lives. But notice what he says also in, in chapter 15. In verses 18 and 19. Turn over a few pages. In verse 18 it says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. You ever have any evil thoughts? I'm not asking for honesty tonight. I'm just presenting this as a question. Evil thoughts have to be controlled. They do, even as a Christian. Evil thoughts. Notice what he says, second, murders. What do you mean murders coming out of the heart, coming off the tongue? What do you mean murders? You know you can destroy somebody's character and their effectiveness and their usefulness in the kingdom of God by the words you speak about them? I'd be very careful about what I, I passed around. And if it's secondhand information, let me tell you something what I'd do with it. I've got a large file 13. And they're buried. Murders. You can murder an individual by the things that you say. Adulteries. Fornication. Theft. False witness. Blasphemies. He talks about all of these things coming out of the inner person. Inner person. 
And all of us have some knowledge of all of these things. What's flowing out of your heart tonight? The spiritual aspect of the kingdom of God, my dear friends, is within. But let me talk to you about a second thing for a few moments. There's a kingdom of righteousness. Don't forget this thing about the spiritual aspect of it because it's real. It is real. But there is this aspect of what is righteous. We're made righteous by faith in Christ. I've shared with you the gospel of what it is. And that's how my standing is secured before the living God one day. And I'm going to have to stand before Him. And that's coming very soon. And as a child of God, putting my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 23, verse 3, I shared with you last week where he talks about the, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. I ask for His leadership every day. Lord, give me that leadership in righteousness to do the right things that need to be done. See, Jesus urges His people to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Accept your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. You shall not enter into the kingdom of God. What was the righteousness of the Pharisees? Do you know what it was? It was their own merits and works. Their works were to be seen of men, of which they wanted praise and honor from men. That's why you see, and it's pointed out in the New Testament, it is clear as to what kind of lives that they live. They had long, empty prayers, Jesus said. Hands held out. Hands held out so people would be attracted. They would see them standing in different places. They were spouting about the things that they had done and the things that they would give. They talked about that so people would know. They would stand on the street corners that when people went by, they would say, there's a holy man. There's a religious leader. There's someone there that may be of God. And that's why they stood there. So that people would take note of them. All the difference in the world for a child of the living God. But you know what? We can go further. You talk about the dealings they had with, with people and especially Jesus. This is how honest they were. They would always do historical analysis to see if they could find something on somebody by going way back in their lives and digging up things. You say, oh, that didn't take place. Did in Jesus' life. Jesus was a threat to the religious leaders of his day and time. And that's why they went back to his hometown and they did a historical analysis on it so they could see if they could dig up something. They want to know something. And there's nothing wrong with finding out about a person. If you want to know something, here it is. What you see is what you get. But they went back on Jesus to dig up smut so that they could use against him. How unreal were these guys. They listened closely to determine if there was any error in what he said. They didn't care. They just wanted to judge him for what it was that he said. They watched his miracles to see if he broke any of their religious rules. And it was undeniable about the things that he did with people. How many people that he really did heal. Amen. They didn't care about that. 
They just wanted to make sure they followed their rules. How unscriptural. How unscriptural. And then you think about the many times that they would, would come and ask to see if they could find something to accuse him with. Ask him questions. Only to find out if they could accuse him of something. You know what the Pharisees excelled in in their day and time? Was only in externals. Nothing inward, nothing spiritual, nothing that was life-changing because their lives had not changed. You talk about hot-dogging, they were hot dogs. You talk about grandstanding, they were grandstanders. And they put on a very good veneer. They really did. I'm going to tell you what Jesus said about them. Matthew 23, he called them what they were, nothing but blatant hypocrites. How tragic. See, Jesus spoke of that inward change. He talked about a new heart. He talked about having the opportunity for godly thoughts and deeds. He talked about a childlike spirit, submissiveness and obedience. He talked about a demanding love. I, I tell you, I can't wrap my hands around all this thing that Jesus talked about as far as loving. I bet you can't either. You know what he said to do about your enemies? He said, if your enemies are hungry, what should you do? Feed them. He said, if they're thirsty, what should you do? Give them something to drink. There's a principle that runs throughout the entire Bible that our attitudes about our enemies who have done us wrong and continue to do wrong and then God Almighty drops the hammer of judgment upon them, our attitudes toward that should be Christian. It's not God's will that any perish. I don't want to see anybody. I don't care what they've said about me or done to me. I want to tell you something. I don't want anyone to have to go to hell. But I know they're on their way. It's a terrible thing. What about those that despitefully use you? What are you supposed to do when somebody despitefully used you? You ever been used? In this business, you get this stuff all the time. I'm just telling you. I don't say, feel sorry for me. But I'm going to tell you, in this business, you get all this kind of stuff. You know what it says? Those who despitefully use you, what's it do? Pray for them. Pray for them. You know what praying for them will do for you? It'll change you and take that bitterness and that hurt because you've been used by somebody. And you'll maintain a right spirit that's Christ-like. And that's what we've got to do. You remember the golden rule? Whatsoever you would that men should do to you. What's the rest of that? Do ye also to them. What you really want people to do to you, go ahead and do it to them. You're talking about powerful. These are the righteous things of the kingdom. This is what the psalmist in 23.3 prayed about. Lead me in the paths of righteousness that will make me different than what I was. That's powerful. You don't see that much in our world today. But let me close with a third principle. 
And you know it's called truth. There's not a premium on truth today. There should be. Jesus himself said in his day and when he comes back, he'll say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. My dear friends, all three are hinged together. You cannot separate what he said here. They're all hinged together and they work together. The truth he said will set you free. Jesus is the truth. All truth, listen to this, all truth that sets the standards throughout life are derived from the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. All truth and standards are derived from Him. He is the truth. And we find that throughout life. You see, in Him, which is a lifestyle, you are in the way of truth. In Him, a lifestyle, you are in the way of truth. Do you remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? Do you think He was shaking so that His knees were knocking? Pilate asked him. He said, are you a king? You know how Jesus answered? Huh? Well, I like, I like this. He said, do you say that I am? That was his witness. Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus returns it by saying, do you say that I am? That was his moment. He lost it. Pilate lost the moment that Jesus gave to him because from there on out he compromised everything that he stood for as a man to do what was right as a Roman. I'm going to tell you there's people today that you know could be sitting here, come on Sunday morning, I don't know, and they lose their moment when God gives them that moment. It's lost. That's a scary thing. Pilate in Hades today crying out, you're a king. Too late. Too late. Jesus said, to this end, I have been born and have come into the world that I should bear witness unto what? The truth. That was about himself. Everyone that is of the truth heareth me. You'll know the truth. And when you hear the truth, it will set you free. You see, all through the New Testament, you find the kingdom of God over against the kingdom of Satan. In Matthew 4, 8 and 9, it talks about that third event in the temptation narrative of Satan and Jesus where Satan takes him up into a high mountain, shows him the kingdoms and their glory and has the audacity to say to him who he knew, he said, if you worship me, you can have these. Young people, let me tell you something. I'm a little bit older than some of y'all. Satan promised you everything. He'll promise you glory. He'll promise you property. He'll promise you wealth. He'll promise you a good time. But none of the things of Satan will deliver. Every one of them will ruin you. Every one of them will ruin you. Every single one of them 
will ruin you. It's there. The kingdom of heaven against the kingdom of this world. Satan's kingdom. Do you know what the characteristics of Satan's kingdom are? It's evil. There's fraud. There's cruelty. There's lies. There's deceit. There's self-pride. There's people that's just absolutely oozing from themselves by being full of themselves. And then you take the debauchery that we experience today that's on television sets all over America. The debauchery of homosexuality, transgenderism, filthy language on television. Like my dear friends, we have not ever heard in our lifetime. Satan is at work. That's why I've been sharing with you some of these principles. And it's going to get worse before it ever gets better. You know, the kingdom of God signifies the goodness of God. It talks about sincerity. I don't know, you get tired of talking to people who won't be sincere with you. Huh? It talks about love. It talks about truthfulness. It talks about honesty. It talks about humility. The kingdom of this world, you know what it deals with? The physical and the self-will. It talks about money, envy, pride, immorality. All of these things we see. And they corrupt humanity's love for one another. Look how divided we are today in our country. You know what caused it? I just told you. It's all there. You can dig these things out of the New Testament just like I can. The kingdom of heaven is the opposite of that. It talks about the spirit and the soul. It talks about renouncing self. It talks about a purity from the inner person. God, the Father, is spoken of in the New Testament as Father. Father, loving, kind. He that giveth good gifts to his children. The saints are ever to keep that in their forethought. Ever looking to him. And I'm going to tell you something where I said that Satan will not produce and what he promises you, God will never deny you a promise that he's issued to you. He's never denied me. If you told me years ago to put my life together like he has, it's not made it easy. Now I'm going to tell you something right now. God doesn't make your life easy. And the reason your life is not made easy because the easier it is, you won't trust him. The harder in the way the more you trust, the more you trust, the stronger and the maturer you become. People don't want hard ways. They don't. They want the easy way. Easy way. I want to tell you in closing, the kingdom of God was ordained for mankind. Now I need to say it again. The kingdom of God is ordained for mankind. He wants you to be a part of it. But He wants you to want what He wants for you. Right? In other words, you have to choose. Do I want this? The kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or do I want the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Satan and all that He offers? He's promised me a good time. What do you want? See, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Many of you can sit here and say, I'm so glad I came to Jesus. 
And I'll say that with you. You see, the gospel of the kingdom, Bible says, shall be preached in all of the world to all of the nations as a witness of His saving grace for you. The kingdom of God is spiritual and righteous and truth. And we as God's children are to be found therein each and every aspect of which I have delineated and extracted for you tonight from the text that I know that God placed on my heart for you, the church at Hillcrest Baptist. When I looked at this, I said, Lord, that's not it. The longer I looked at it, the more he was saying, this is it. Tonight, maybe you're here. You've never been born again. You're just a religionist. You can be pharisaical. We've got a lot of people just religious. Some years ago, our church rose. If we could get 60% to our churches, we were doing good, we thought. Slipped to 50. Now, in many areas, it's 40 and some below that. What about the status of all of those people that's on our church rows? I wish I could say unequivocally to you tonight that every one of them are born again, trusting, and if he were to come tonight, they'd be ready to go to heaven. Trust him as your Savior. You have to know that you're a sinner and he died for sinners. And if you'll do that, Ask Him into your heart, something will take place. You'll experience a changed life, just like I described to you tonight. He'll change your life. And it'll be for the better, not for the worst.